Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Isaac Shapiro, who's going to talk to us about the impact of Papaji. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hiya. Do you know, uh, 28 years ago, almost exactly to the day, actually, it's almost, it's almost like the anniversary, a few days late, I was living in India, already living in India, near to Bombay. And I heard about a man who lived in Lucknow, which is really in Uttar Pradesh. It's nowhere very special. It's not a, it's not a particularly holy city, but lived in Lucknow and people were going to see him and something was happening. And by that point, I was so tired of the hamster wheel life of being a seeker that I thought, hey, I'll try anything. So I went to I went to India. I went to Lucknow. I mean, I got on a flight to Delhi and then a train to Lucknow. I went to stay at the Clark's Avad Hotel. Um, and I looked up Punja in the phone book. This guy's name was Punja. So I looked up in the phone book. There was no listing for Punja uh, under those initials. There was another Punja. So I called and I simply heard somebody on the other end said, I will, will make you in the morning, 9 a.m. Indian people often have betel leaf in their cheeks, so it's hard to hear what they're saying. I will meet you in the morning at 9 a.m. So I, next morning I went down dutifully to the lobby, and there was a man on his scooter. I got on the back of the scooter and had the most hair-raising trip of my life. We were weaving through traffic. You know, every, every turn was like, looked like it was going to be the end of us. But we wove through the traffic, and finally we got to this house in the suburbs really in a quiet area near the forest. And um, it turned out I was actually sitting on the back of the scooter of the son of the man I wanted to see. So he opened the door. I walked through the door and there was this old man sitting on a tucket, like a sort of a wooden, low wooden table with a mattress on top. He was sitting there just staring into space. There was about eight people sitting on the floor. As soon as I met his eyes, met his gaze, I knew it was over. I knew there was no way to survive this guy. The proximity, the intimacy, there was no way to get around this. It was, you know, the game was up. And sure enough, over the next few days, um, my experience of reality was permanently changed forever. And the the myth of separation was uh, put to rest. I'm not saying I've been an exemplary human being since then, but at least when I'm being an asshole... I know that I'm being an illusory asshole. (laughs) It doesn't take long to relax back into being present. There were many people around him at that time. Altogether, during the seven years that I was with him on and off until he died, I saw thousands of people meet him. Some met him and just saw a sweet old man and wondered what all the fuss was about. Some of them had a peak experience which then dissipated and it put them back into a rhythm of seeking again. Some people made him into a kind of a religion or a kind of a thing. And so they 
they really then adopted a lifestyle based around his picture, his community. And some people, actually statistically relatively few, imbibed what he had pointed out so that it became their own sovereignty. It became their own experience. It became, you couldn't wash it away. And one of the people who I feel that is most true for is Isaac Shapiro. I met Isaac in Papaji's, Punjiji's living room. We then lived together on several occasions in Lucknow in the same house, and we've been on and off together ever since as friends. Isaac is someone who has really, you could say, he has become the teaching and the teaching has become him. He has become truly an embodiment of freedom. So we had a chance to reflect a little bit on the after effects, the aftershock of Punjiji, Papaji. And I hope you'll enjoy this, this conversation I had with Isaac over Zoom. I hope it will be helpful and useful and give you some reflection on the way that these kind of awakening teachings can marinate down into the very marrow of your bones. Hey, Isaac, my brother of a very, very, very long time. How long have we known each other? Since 1992, 90, I think it was, yeah. Maybe 91, I think. 91, you... yeah, 91, could okay. be. So that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> True. And we met, uh, we met in the context of um, Punjiji, Papaji. We, we met... We met in his living room, actually, I think, for the first time. And afterwards, I believe, if my memory serves me well, we became pretty good friends, right? Yeah, we, we, and we even lived in the same home. We lived in the same home together. So that's now almost 30 years ago. I guess it's 28 years ago. And I wanted to invite you. I'll tell you why I want to invite you. I wanted to invite you to reflect upon the impact of what happened in Lucknow 28 years ago on our lives today. Yes. And the reason I want to do that, and I'll keep this introduction pretty short. The reason I want to do that is I noticed that all these years later, when I meet with different people who I knew back then, sometimes meet in person, sometimes on Facebook, there is actually a wide variety of ways that that time with Papaji has been integrated. Um, and I'm not going to label them all, but it's like everybody has found their own way to hold that now or to be held by it. So I thought it would be interesting. And the reason I particularly wanted to chat with you is for me and my own particular worldview, you are probably the friend I have from those days who has most touched me recently, you know, where, where we got together in Germany and we reflected a little bit on how has all this settled after 28 years. Um, for me, you were the most honest, the most um, impressively yeah, authentic um, of, of anybody I, you know, anybody I knew from that time. So uh, that's why I felt like I, I just really wanted to, to spend some time sharing with you. So I just am enjoying the way our systems meet each other here. We're sitting here. Yeah. 
and to me it feels pretty naked and vulnerable and honest and yeah <laughs> no nobody with a anything to prove or anything to do just in a way you could say the sweetness of the heart meeting the heart without uh, anything in between hopefully (laughs) (laughs) even that it's like funny because all of a sudden some movement happens and the system you know, when I, I talk about the system, something happens and uh, yeah. automatic movement happens and suddenly there's resistance. And yeah, yeah. Flow, yeah, it seems like the flow is not there for a moment or two or whatever. Yeah. So um, not everybody who's listening to this is necessarily going to know what we mean by Papaji and Lucknow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that you've got your pictures there and mm-hmm. you know, actually Papaji is sitting sitting in this corner, you know, but uh, he's, he's there for me every day. Um, so maybe just to bring everybody up to speed, you know, let's each of us take a few minutes and just share what happened in 1991 and, and uh, what was that all about? And then perhaps we can do another round on how has that impacted us and see how we hold all this today. Yeah, oh, I mean, for me, when I arrived in Lucknow, I, I felt somehow really deeply seen by this being. It's like when he met me, he just, he said to me, oh, you've already visited all these different locals and you've come here to finish your journey. Mm. And because uh, I'd taken a lot of LSD in my youth and maybe... Mm. <laughs> so yeah, he could see it and 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 um <laughs> he said now just bring your attention to awareness and it was like my where all that journeying had brought me was to just exploring um where our attention was focused and how it was focused and when he said it to me it was it was just like yeah i wonder why i never thought of that before Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't even a big bang or anything like I saw happening with many people around Papaji was like falling into nothingness. It was just, oh, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because somehow before my attention was uh, busy with my perceptions and interpretations and all that stuff and what it all meant. Mm-hmm. And so then just um, that invitation of his, it was like, yeah, just it opened up, uh, you know, like I was scheduled to travel and hold um, awareness groups, I called them in those days, and I just knew it was finished, whatever it was that I was doing. And anyway, that was kind of interesting because that was the way I, I made my living. And But mm. I knew it was done. I couldn't do that anymore. Mm. Mm. And so when I showed up at my next uh, venue, I, I told people, listen, you know, because people book in advance and you have to book centers and all that stuff. I said, look, I can't do what I was doing. Hmm. And they said, well, if you found something better, you got to show us. And my response was, I'm not qualified. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I, I, I don't have words for it. I don't know. It's, it's not a doing particularly. It's a, just a seeing. And they said, well, whatever, we, we're in. Hmm. And so that's that's and so my idea at that point was just to get back to Lucknow and just 
marinate in that field and, and mm. Uh, mm. see what was next. But uh, when I got there, then Papaji said, I'd like you to be available to people for these meetings. Mm -hmm. But what was cool is he never told me what to do. He never, he never ever said to me, you know, do it like this, or this is what it's about. And, mm. Mm. and somehow for me, I knew that in his company, every time I went back there, just how that invitation functioned, it stripped away other layers, just, mm. and I can't say it was comfortable. In fact, it wasn't because, mm. but I could, see, I knew the value of it. Mm. And so, you know, kept showing up and being, and, and it was never like, it was never, he, he, he never w was like a teacher. It was just what spontaneously happened in being around him, like the next seeing of where something had crystallized or something had become something. And, um, yeah, and his wicked sense of humor and how he played with us was just, for mm. me, exquisite. Mm. And, you know, there were, I, I could see again, there was all these different perspectives on what a master was. And uh, for me, it never, it, that wasn't where it was for me. It was just like, there was a love there that And the recognition, I mean, it's like, I knew that I was transparent to him. And there was oftentimes when I'd actually go out of the meetings there because the mind was going so crazy and I knew he could see everything. Mm. And it wasn't pretty. Mm. <laughs> just to be that naked and with uh, all that crap going on. Or I could call it crap, but just, you know, judgments and opinions and, and uh, not able to stop it and not able to do anything about it. It just seemed to come up thick and strong around him. But I knew it was actually beautiful and good. And so I didn't, I never went there for the high. I went there for <laughs> being exposed in a funny kind of a way, just uh, mm. or not even me being exposed because I could see it. It was not, had nothing to do with um, well, you know, with a sense of me, it was just the unconscious information still functioning in the system that can only function unconsciously. It's not, you know, I don't think anybody consciously decides to suffer. It's, mm. it's like somehow things play in us that are playing unconsciously, mm. which literally means nobody is doing it. It's just like, it's just uh, <laughs> the information from generations of ancestors. Mm. And then there's the opportunity in that um, of being present to it, mm -hmm. naked in that. And, uh, mm. and uh, yeah, that's what interests me, just being, you know, being around and being with all these expressions of that same intelligence without ownership of any of it and just being available to those, I would say, 
mechanisms that have troubled man, womankind forever for them to, to become conscious and then get integrated in that. In that. Mm. And to me, that seems infinite. There's no, it doesn't seem like there's an end to that. That's just, uh, so I'm just here for that. And <laughs> yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner and another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. Maybe I could reciprocate and just tell my story a little bit. And, oh, uh, I would love. I would love. Yeah. And then we can see, you know, we can move forward to see how all this played out in our lives. So yeah. for me, you know, when I, when I, when I arrived in Lucknow, uh, I was 34. And I had been really uh, primarily identified with spiritual seeking, quotes, mm-hmm. uh, for 20 years since I was 14, which was primarily motivated by intense suffering. Like my family had an above average incidence of suicide and depression. Mine, mine too, by the way. Yeah. So I was either going to just go under or uh, find some way to, you know, I realized psychotherapy was, wasn't a strong enough medicine for me. So I was either going to get swept under or find a way to transcend my conditioning, you know. So when I say 20 years, it wasn't only, you know, meditation, spiritual work. It was also a lot of kind of alternative psychotherapeutic work. So when I met him, uh, I was 34, it was 1991. And I walked into the room. There was eight people sitting on the floor around him. And our eyes met. And it was a shock. It was like a mouse meeting a hungry lion. It's like, okay. There's absolutely no way I'm going to survive this. I just a look in his eyes. I realize this guy is ferocious, you know, and has no, you know, he's just going to go straight for the jugular <laughs> in, a, in, in the most liberating way. Yeah. So, but there was a tea break. Well, actually, it actually wasn't a tea break. It was a pun break where he would go back into his bedroom in the back and he would cool pun. Right? It was very, he had this uh, bowl of pun in his mouth and bowl full of pun. So he called me in and he said to me, he was very, he was very kind of 
in your face. He's, you know, he said like, what do you want? Why did you come? Right? It's like, well, and I went, oh, you know, I said, well, I feel like I've been seeking as long as I can remember what is in the way of finding. And he looked at me like this was the most utterly stupid question anyone had ever asked. He said, what's in the way of finding? Seeking, of course, right? Which kind of blew my mind. I mean, it sounds, maybe today it sounds obvious. Yeah. But back then it blew my mind because I've never seen it that way, that the, the mm. activity of being a seeker and being involved in all these processes was mm. getting in the way as much as it was helping. Yeah. So then finally we went back into the main room with these eight people. And again, towards the end of the meeting, he said to me, he said, what do you want? You know, he's like, what do you want? Mm. He was quite, he was like an ex-army officer. So he was quite, you know. But I kind of gave him the answer that I suppose it's almost like it was the correct answer to give. It was the, the answer that I was used to giving. I said, I want to be free. You know, that was the kind of spirit, that was the spiritually regurgitated answer. I want to be free. I want to be enlightened, you know? And he said to me, okay. He said, okay. Like that was not a problem. Okay. No worries. You know? And I was like, what? You know? And then he said, okay. You show me that which is not free, and I will make it free. Like, demonstrate to me that which is bound, I will set it free. I thought, that's a great deal. All I've got to do is give him my ego, he'll set it free, right? So I went back to my hotel room. I was staying at the Clark's Abad at that time. You remember the Clark's Abad? Yeah, I remember the Clark's. I've stayed there too. Yeah, and I, I went into a process for about a week that was something like insanity. But I, can remember, I can remember just laying on the bed. It was August. It was hot. Laying on the bed, and all these thoughts were just spinning around, you know, like tomatoes, ratatouille, computer, you know, liberation, ramana, uh, um, lamange, you know, just all these things just flowing around. But they didn't have any coherence anymore. Just my mind was going out of control, really like madness. And I felt very uncomfortable. Um... Because I think that seeking identity had played such a central role mm. that without that steering the ship, it was just like chaos, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm. And finally, one night after, I think it was about a week, one night, it was actually like, a, I think it was a Friday night because there was satsang on a Saturday. I wrote this little letter to him. And I said, I, you know, I give up. I give you my ego, please set it free. Something, something poetic like that. I didn't even know what I was talking about, but I just wrote this out, folded it up. And I wasn't really sleeping at that time. I was so disturbed, but I kind of went into a sort of somnambulous state. And about six in the morning, my body kind of came to with this sense of urgency, like I have to pay my taxes, that kind of urgency. And so in this urgency, I... Um, I had this, oh, I have to do something. Oh, that's right. I have to give Punjaji my ego to set it free, right? So I, so I went, okay. But I was half asleep. I went, okay, let's find it. And I went, let's find it. Let's find it. Let's find it. Let's find it. And the next thing I knew, the body just burst out laughing and just continued to laugh for like 30 minutes, uncontrollably, deep belly, whole body laughing. Because in the, in the actual looking for it, yeah. metaphorically, yeah, metaphorically, the hand that was looking just extended infinitely into space. Yeah. So in that moment, there was actually the realization, not I have to get rid of the ego, but that the ego was made up. 
Mm. And, it, and once it's made up, it creates this whole construct of a personal life, mm. but it actually exists only in imagination. Mm. So that was my story, you know, and then I went back and then I went back to him and we had this little exchange where somebody asked a question, somebody asked a question. He said, oh, wait a minute. I have to settle my account with this man with pointing at me. He said, come here. And uh, he said, I have to settle my account with you. I didn't know what that meant. And I just went and I whispered in his ear, the account is closed. Meaning, <laughs> and, he's, and then he whispered to me, he said, he said, thank God. He said, I was talking to you the whole night. Uh, kind of amazing exchange, you know? Yeah. So that initiated this kind of recognition. I don't really know how it happened where spaciousness became predominant, you know, mm -hmm. for, for about three weeks, there was really very little else going on at all. There was this blessed three weeks where there was really almost no thought. The spaciousness was so huge and immediate, mm -hmm. there was not much else going on. But then I had to go back to Pune where I had been living to pack up some stuff. And then it started this, you could say like dual state, I suppose. I don't know where there was the spaciousness. It seemed at that point like it was a dual state. I don't think it's really a dual state. But it seemed like there was this infinity, and now the activities of the individual occurring within the infinity. And so, again, when I got back, I remember it was raining like crazy. I don't know why it was raining. It must have been some sort of, I don't know what it was. There was, a, I don't know, Indian monsoon, or I don't know what they call that. But it was raining like crazy, like huge, like flooding rain. And I remember I went to his house, and I said something along the lines of, you know, I got it and now I've lost it. I didn't say exactly that, but something to, the, to that effect. Yeah. And you know what he did? He, I can't remember exactly the sequence. He got really mad and, and somehow, I can't remember the, the, the sequence, but as I was leaving the house, he said to me, don't ever talk like that. And he actually gave me a nudge and I fell into this puddle of water. <laughs> He was, he was kind of, he was ferocious, you know, and it somehow it locked it in that that kind of thinking of gaining it and losing it was just like, was completely masochistic, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then fast forward nine months um, of really a blessed life with him there, which after that, it wasn't any more talk about spirituality. It was talk about those gulab jamon candies you know sweets and it was just talk about regular life you know for nine he he was he was quite studious to not talk anymore about spirituality with me it was just all about getting married all this kind of very practical stuff and after about nine months uh my wife at the time subhadra who became catherine later she got pregnant um which i'm i've always assumed i had something to do with uh, so she got pregnant and um, got, she wanted to go back to America because she was feeling nauseous. And then he never, he didn't actually say anything to me for quite a while. He started to talk to his Indian friends in uh, Hindi, mm -hmm. say, saying to his Indian friends like Rina Nanda, there's an Indian woman, saying Arjuna and this other guy, Om Prakash, saying to mm -hmm. them, Arjuna is going to go back to america and teach but he didn't say it to me he said it to these other people so it came back to me indirect and exaggerated so i went to him finally and i said you know i've been hearing a rumor about teaching he said oh, no i've been hearing a rumor about teaching he said oh yeah you go teach like like that 
And I said, I said, um, you must be joking. That's what I said to him. You've got to be joking, right? Because it's like, I didn't feel like remotely that that was appropriate. I said, you've got to be joking. And he said to me, yes, the truth is a great joke. Go share it with as many people as possible. And there was a couple of other sort of indirect things like that. Maybe I'll share one more with you. That, that I went back a few days later, very disturbed, because I felt like, you know, the mind has not stopped. The emotional reactivity has not stopped. I felt like he's got the wrong guy because there is still, there is still a person here. Yes, there's this spaciousness, but this kind of rather broken individual is still there. You know, it's still possible to find him. And I had this feeling I should be completely obliterated. You know, there should be no more sense of a me, you know? So I went back to him after a few days and he was actually sitting in his living room alone, reading the newspaper. He had the newspaper spread out on his dining table and he was reading it but he was actually reading the small ads, like the classified ads, you know, like Lucknow office seeks office boy for, um, for duties or something like that, you know? He's reading all these ads meticulously, which was his want. He found everything fascinating. So I sat down next to him, we were alone in the room, and I said, um, Papaji, you know, you asked me to teach. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And I said, you know, I don't feel really awake. I feel like I am the, in the process of awakening, which I thought was a sort of humble thing to say. And he looked up from his newspaper and he said, don't you ever speak or think like that again. Like ferocious, you know? And again, it was like a shock, you know, that he was just, he was sort of, I don't know what happened, but he was shocking me into realizing like giving this, giving these thoughts and feelings in the energy yeah in the energy was just like looking a gift horse in the mouth like it was it was it was my responsibility to nurture the infinite and not nurture the separate so that's my story anyway and uh so we both we both ended up uh, in some way or other teaching at his nudge you know i didn't do it for that long i did it for a few years only you know you know it, to me it never felt like teaching and also it's 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 an interesting exploration in a way to me because it's see you know it's like this to me it feels like finding this balance point of recognizing the space that everything's appearing in but not ignoring what's rising up it's like being you know like a balance point of being present to it but without being overly present without giving it energy but mm. also not ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like you know. To me, it's like that. The I use the the metaphor of riding a bicycle. Just that point of balance where it's all included. It's all yeah. just here. You know, if if it's just if it's like if it's over focused on just awareness, then these movements that come up. It's like you know, uh, there's no humanness there. There's no, uh, and so this thing of Okay, yeah, wow, yeah, there's this sadness coming up, or these thoughts are coming up, or there's some level of dis ease or discomfort, and then just, you know, being available as that spaciousness for that to have space. It's just, wow. So, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the, for me, the invitation. Mm. And then just being around and just, you know, not making it mean meeting, not like you like, like, 
not making that mean that you're not awake or not making that mean that yeah there's anywhere to get to or anything like that that is it actually mm. that's the in you know one way of speaking it is this you know in the spiritual traditions they often talk about service and to me the service is being present mm. to the sensations that have automatically been rejected for generations yeah and just welcoming and being they you know in a way they they portals doorways into yeah if you really if there's just really gentle mm. presence has there been any you've been now in that whatever we call it i'm going to call it teaching role even though you may not call it teaching it it, it for the want of a better word it appears to be it looks like that. It looks like somebody at the front and, you know, so we'll just put it in quotes, you know, air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. You've been in that role now. Well, obviously you were somewhat in that role before, but you've been in that role with, with satsang or gatherings for close to 30 years. Yeah. Have there been any other turning points for you or particular points? Because there were for me, and I'd like to ask you first, were there any points where it pivoted or it, it grew to ex- include something more? Many, mm. many. I what mean, it's, what stands out? Um, you know, bumping into uh, Peter Levine's uh, yeah. work. Of, work. Yeah, yeah. What's that work? Embracing the Tiger, or is it? What's the name? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's got a bunch of them, but it's like just starting to recognize how much you know, what, what's called trauma, but to me what it is is unintegrated information. It's just information that produces an automatic response mm. that shows up as fight, flight, or freeze, or whatever. Yeah. And, and then, you know, kind of, and, and, and there's so many different kinds. There's the generational stuff that we'd never even had anything to do. That's just like, you know, you can see in kids that, that came from survivors of the Holocaust, Mm. They're carrying trauma in their system, although mm. they never experienced it. And um, so the same thing from, you know, like our generation is a generation after the Second World War. All the people, I, you know, I'm in Europe a lot, so there's all these people that are carrying the trauma of that Second World War in, in their mm. family. Mm. So there's that kind of trauma. Then there's the trauma of, like, in the womb, like, you know, a lot of, people are conceived unintentionally and the first thought is, oh, this is a problem. And you know, like how that manifests is that these people never feel they belong anywhere or that they have a right to be. And mm. they don't even know where it comes from, mm. but it's like that, that imprint that's there. And so, and it's a tricky one to get to in a certain sense because there's no memory associated usually with it. There's just these automatic yeah. ways that life functions that is mm-hmm. terrible. I mean, really horrific. Yeah. Now you're saying, are you saying that is that was true prior to this moment of awakening? Or you say that it continue, you continue to discover layers of that afterwards? Continue and continue still now daily. I right. mean, to me, it's like... Right. Um, and then there's, you know, like just the... And can I just the, pause you for a minute? Yeah, I, just, yeah. I just want to catch that while you say it. So, Isaac Shapiro, what you've just said, hmm. 
is I want just want to bookmark this. What you've just said is why I adore you, mm. why I love you without bounds, mm. and why I trust you so deeply. Mm. Because what you've just been willing to say right now, you know, mm. after 28 years of sitting in the seat at the front of the room mm. and having hundreds of people, sometimes thousands, looking to you as the reference point for awakening which can so easily cause us to feel, well, okay, if all these people are giving me this much juice, then I'm, I'm the cat's whiskers, you know? But, but you're willing to say, yes, even after that grace of having had a strong moment of awakening, these contractions have continued to arise and they continue to arise to this day if that is where I give my allegiance, you know, that is for me, that is, and I'm just speaking personally, when I see a teacher and of which there are quite a lot, and I'm not going to mention names, but when I see a teacher taking a purely absolute view, like I am that you are that end of story, don't touch the mind, boom, boom, you know, I feel like, okay, that is in an absolute sense true. But in some way, I can't describe when I see someone willing to say, yes, there is, there is this infinite consciousness. We can absolutely meet as this infinite consciousness now. Mm. But don't let's use that to pretend that there are not these, what in India they call samskaras, continuing. I trust that with my life. I trust that so deeply when I hear that spoken. You know, I mean, and honestly, it's like this... Um You know, I think something that Papaji, I heard at least Papaji say was, um, it takes two wings for a bird to fly. Hmm. Both knowledge of who you are and love. Yeah. And to me, what that translates, uh, that love translates is, you know, I would say compassion, that capacity to feel with. Yeah. Who, who, who this, this system whatever's hmm. you know, like playing in it and whatever's playing in any system, because I see that it's not personal to anyone. It's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's all the same thing in a certain way. And so one way of speaking is just noticing in where something in this organization hmm. doesn't want to feel something. Yeah. And it has a movement to get away yeah that's, that's where there's gold yeah because it's like um that produces some sense of separation that produces some sense of you know like you and me and all that and it's like a little tiny movement usually undetected it's just like yeah. so familiar yeah. mm. and so it you know, it's funny, I don't even call it vigilance. To me, it feels more like a love affair. It's like how love functions. It's like mm. love mm. is just available for that process because yeah. it doesn't, doesn't have an option, actually. <laughs> As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. 
Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliant Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. You know, I'm, I'm really, I think I'm really with you, if I understand everything you're saying. The, the piece that I want to make sure that, that I'm, the piece I'm interested to check if we're on the same page. Mm, and, and I'm saying this particularly today, I'll tell you why in a minute. Mm. But the piece where I'm interested to know if we're on the same page is my experiences, even after 28 years, where, to be honest with you, you know, I mean, this is more like, this is more like saying thank you than look at me, hooray. You know, I mean, this is more in the spirit of a big thank you to life. Mm. That, you know, I had this incredible, incredible, incredible blessing and grace to meet this ferocious lover of freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also, I had also had the incredible grace as if one lion of freedom and truth wasn't enough. I also had the grace to meet this guy, Tulku mm. Rinpoche, who was, mm. I don't know how I got so lucky, but he was the, at that time, the Dzogchen teacher to the Dalai Lama, mm. and the, the, whole, the kind of lineage holder of the Nyingma tradition in Tibetan Buddhism. I got to have a, like, an afternoon with him, just me and a trans. I don't know how I got so lucky. It was ridiculous grace, you know? But, um, yeah, so what I wanted to say is, that's an incredible grace. And as a result of that grace, this kind of infinity doesn't really go away. Mm. But that's not, look at me how great I am. It's like, wow, you know, those mm. guys saved my sorry ass from myself, right? Mm. <laughs> that was a gift, you know? Mm. So the infinity is there. But what arises in the infinity sometimes, not always, it's, it, you, now it's kind of a pretty lulled phase for a while and then when it comes it's like it's like suddenly oh my god how could i've missed all this shit you know mm. when it comes i want the piece i would just want to acknowledge is it is painful you know mm. oh, when, when yeah. a layer reveals itself it hurts like hell mm. and i think that's the piece that sometimes goes unexpressed mm. that because some of us have been lucky enough to be graced with an irreversible meeting with punjaji or Urgentulko or something, that therefore the pain of contraction never arises again. And I want to say it does. And I, if I may, just in the interest of, you know, honesty, I'd love to just share a, a little bit of what I've gone through lately. Is that okay? 
Yeah. I'll keep it short. So last week, I led a retreat with some very amazing, talented, beautiful people who are all of them in their own way, global, global. They have the capacity to influence things globally. I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to work with people who have this kind of global reach. Mm. And that's what I kind of love, you know, is I, I, I'm, really, I'm really intent right now on helping to turn the boat around, you know, while we still have an opportunity. And um, so strong, strong people, you know, people who are very confident in their own leadership abilities, people who really have a strong message. And so out of a fairly small group, I got into a little discomfort with not one, not two, but three people during the week, right? Which the nature of the discomfort, it all got smoothed out by the end of the week, but the nature of this discomfort really powerfully with a feeling of shame a shame that i like you know it's a shame that i would not be without there was a feeling of i did not handle this well right mm. yeah. um i did not handle this well it was not skillful and there was forgiveness you know we got smoothed out but and i felt in not handling it well i felt the shame of i did not fully step up to what i could have been in this week now that shame did eventually move through into self-forgiveness and, and, and commitment to clearing whatever came. Mm. But that's an example, you know, and actually it's a funny thing. What I've noticed is when a wound, when another layer of contraction reveals itself, it's like, it's like when it reveals itself, oh my God, it was, it was there actually, it was actually there the whole time. And I mm. just managed to overlook it for like all these decades. I just managed to live with it. And now it's in my face. So mm. I just happened to be having this call with you in the midst of a wound like that, that I haven't actually had something come up this strong for, I don't know, months or a year, you know? And I, it sometimes comes up to me in my marriage with Shamali that we've been really good for a while, really good, like really in love, but it's not like that all the time. And when it's not like that, it hurts like hell, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. So this is the piece I just wanted to share, you know, that it- yeah, You know, like, I mean, just in my life, I mean, very, not, nothing even grandiose. I have a property that I, that I have some renters on. Hmm. Morning, I got given notice by these, uh, by these guys and nothing wrong with that, but there's, there's a play that's going on where there's some aggression in the way of giving notice and some projection onto me in it. Um, and I just, you know, it's like I notice. It's okay, wow. It's like in the grand scheme of things, such a tiny little ripple. Yeah. It's tiny. Mm -hmm. But it disturbs. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. disturbance. Mm -hmm. You know, and does it disturb, you know, when I say it's like, it's not one of these huge opportunities, but I see it as an opportunity because it's like just there's something niggling just under the surface. Yeah. And, oh, how beautiful I get to mm. just mm. Not, not try to change it, not try to fix it, not try to understand it. There's just... Mm. something inviting mm. me. an owie yeah an owie and i can 
you know, I mean, it's easy. Oh, they're, they're an asshole. So yeah, no, right. It's so that, easy. That, to that, 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 that doesn't work anymore for me. No, just, lovely. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. just, it's yeah. just an hour. And okay. Oh. Yeah. You've just, to me, you've just kind of labeled the trap of being in the position that we've both been in as facilitators, mm. there is such a temptation when there's something that's not love with somebody. Mm. There is such a temptation because we're the guys who've written the books. We're the guys, mm. you know, we're the kind of, we're the guys with the biggest penises here. Oh. You, know, right? <laughs> you know, you can, you can hold a retreat and you can, you know, like in the sense, in, in, in interaction wise, there can be like a 97% strike rate, but then, then there's still the 3% yeah. where it just didn't meet itself. If you're getting 97%, then I bow yeah. to you. <laughs> in, in the sweetest way. And, and then for me, yeah. it's like, you know, there's this capacity to, to come when, I, when I'm resting in my room afterwards and just kind of feeling what's, any residues over there and just coming back and saying, listen, I mm. see that yesterday, however it played, it didn't land exactly. The right. And I just want to apologize. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, I see there's no bad intention on anybody's part, Yeah. but something in this system hasn't integrated whatever that piece is. And oh, I love it, man. It missed, I love and it. it. And it missed. Yeah. I love you so much yeah. for that. You know, what, what I was just wanting to do, just want to complete for a minute is, when these when the when a kind of disharmony happens mm. there is such a temptation being in this position of being the facilitator to say oh you need to look at your stuff you've got this and and often there's truth you it is possible as, as a facilitator to accurately point out where there is contraction in that person but mm. you know what i what i find it helpful to remember is there is this text from atisha who, who created the seven points of mind training. And there's actually, I'll just take this picture down for a minute because there's a, a lovely, um, oh, okay, it's gone. Uh, uh, anyway, there's a lovely interpretation of that, this thing, uh, the heart treasures of the awakened ones, Dilgo Kense Rinpoche. Uh, yeah, that Dilgo, yeah. Favorite books. Anyway, so there is a temptation, maybe that's a t-shirt, maybe not, I can't remember, but there is a temptation to say, Oh, you know, I'm the teacher, but you need to look at this. Yeah. But then, Atisha, the very first line of the seven points of mind training is, consider all phenomena as a dream, right? Mm -hmm. Consider all phenomena as a dream. So, in other words, the safest disposition you can bring to this human life is imagine you're dreaming it, right? Mm -hmm. So, what I've come, and I wanted just to reflect on you with this, that the kind of, the way that I found works best to go through this is, so there's a stage that we, we all have, or we all have had, where there is no recognition of spaciousness, only movie. Then there's mm -hmm. only drama, there's only brain, blame, there's only dominance one way or the other. That's all there is. It's just like, you know, dog eats dog kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's, then, there's a, then there's something happens that's happened to you and me and it's happened to many people where there is a powerful enough recognition of spaciousness that it doesn't go away, right? So now there's a kind of a permanently accessible recognition of spaciousness. And in that, what I would, for me, I don't know if you resonate with this, what I would call this like a second phase, you know, 
there's like now there's watching everything. It's like, okay, now there's the spaciousness. Oh, and here's this happening and I'm watching it. And then it's all kind of a little bit dreamlike, but it's just passing and it's not happening to anybody. And you know, there is no me, there is no you. This is just arising on its own, right? But what I noticed in that second phase of this is all passing on its own, a whole bunch of shit was going on that I actually didn't intend, right? So I- 100%. I was breaking my word and not really intending the consequence of that. I was you know, creating arguments in my marriage and not really intending that. So a whole bunch of things was going on where I go, okay, I don't really like that, but it's just the rising on its own. And it took me a long time to realize that you can, if you like, hold that view that everything's just self-arising and there's nobody here. Mm-hmm. But there is actually, what I've discovered, there is the invitation to to be grateful for the spaciousness mm-hmm. and to remember Atisha's statement, consider all phenomena as a dream, mm-hmm. which means in a way that's a little paradoxical because it does kind of reintroduce the idea of a me, that if something's happening in this dream where I don't like the consequence, there is a level of kind of mastery to redream it. And to- Can I, so, so let, let me- <laughs> Let me just okay, finish. Yeah. I don't want to create misunderstanding. Yeah, there, is actually, there is actually the possibility to, to, to say, okay, so here's this spaciousness. I am a dream character in the spaciousness. Yeah. And all of this is dream. But actually, in a funny way, within all of this, there is an element of playful creativity. And it is possible to recreate the dream and actually to not have arguments and to not be late and not break my word. And... This gets confused sometimes, this way of speaking gets confused with the kind of the law of attraction that I am manifesting, but it's different because it's not really a solid, a solid I doing that. It's not like the dreamed avatar is now changing the dream. The dreamed avatar can't. It's more like spaciousness itself has a humorous ability to redream things in the same way that it originally dreamed everything, you know? And that's what I've been playing with is realizing like, if there's a conflict with somebody that, I, that actually hurts, it's a little invitation to, to exercise more creative freedom in how we're living. What do you think? So I so get what you're speaking. You know, to me, and I, I find it a marriage of all of those things that you were just speaking because to me, um, in, the, in the thinking that it's your stuff or my stuff, then it's, it, it, it looks, it, 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 I haven't found that useful. I just see that there's stuff that's happening in the field that, that's actually been going on forever and that nobody's actually doing. Mm. But the fact that nobody's doing that doesn't mean it doesn't need attending to. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's not that, um, see the moment I go, oh, that's your stuff. Uh, let's attend, it, attend to that there. Mm. I don't, uh, to me, it's just like it's arising hmm. and there's an opportunity here as that spaciousness hmm. to, in, to include and to welcome. Yeah. Unreservedly, yeah. unreservedly, not trying to solve it, not trying hmm. to fix it. Hmm. But allowing, you know, it's like it's, I, I know that you, we've spoken about this before. It's like there's something that happens in the nervous system hmm. when it, it's that whatever's coming, that discomfort, 
mm. has space to spread throughout the whole nervous system. Yeah, you're saying the discomfort has space to spread. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. And then it's not yours or it's not mine. Right. But that, in, that a lot of times it takes, in my view, it takes another nervous system to be present there because our nervous system is so quick to want to kind of get away from it. Mm. And then there's another system just holding hands, like together, mm. something mm. gets accomplished or something happens that doesn't happen yeah. when it's too much for that nervous system because the nervous system is an okay. automatic and it wants to yeah. get away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the power of love and compassion. That's the power of love and compassion. We can hold each other in forgiveness. Oh man! And and in and in awareness. And I, that's what I love about yeah. my friendship with you. Even though we see don't see each other very often, uh, I always feel we can hold each other <laughs> in that spaciousness, you know, and, and, the, and let everything be okay. That is, eh? yeah. What a gift that is. Yeah. 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 I and think there's a, yeah. Then there's I, no teacher. There's no teaching. There's yeah. just there's yeah. just compassion. There's just love meeting itself. Yeah. Yeah. With nowhere to get to, with just, you know, whatever this nervous system has through its journey, uh, you could say, uh, develop the capacity to be present to, it becomes available. Mm. And, and vice versa, because, you know, we've, everyone's been doing their, you know, explore, exploring, and you, you never know where the next gift happens, where someone... It's like I hang out with some beings that have, man, they've really spent a lot of time in the prenatal or in the ancestral. Hmm. Man, my system gets so much value from that. And it's like, that's one of the things. It's like it's starting to be able to discern, okay, that's, that's generational information, that's prenatal, that's this lifetime yeah. trauma. And I think, they're, I all, think, yeah. they're I all think, different territories, yeah. Yeah, I think the key is really... The key for me, and which is again why I love you so much, the key is to be able to hold this spaciousness and 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 not deny it, mm. but to also not pretend that any of us are immune to those to, movements to the web of of Maya, you know, of of not love, because let it's me, once we let, let me tell you a story from Prabhupada. One of the last stories that I experienced with him. Yeah. The last time I went back to Lucknow. Which year was this? Oh, I'm terrible with. Uh, he died in '97. It must have been '96. Okay, year before, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I was there, and I looked at him, and to me, it felt like there'd been a huge acceleration in him. Yeah. And I wasn't sure of my perception because it was like, wow, you know. I, he was like so beyond anything I'd ever met. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure if it was just a projection and, uh, you know, yeah. from, so mm. I said to Papji, you know, like, I don't know if it's just my eyes or, but yeah. it feels like there's been a huge deepening in you. Yeah. Uh, since I last saw you. And he looked at me and he said, of course, otherwise it would be limited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I could have fallen to his knees because just mm. shortly before that, I'd bumped into someone who was saying, you know, awareness doesn't deepen. And, mm. you know, someone who's quite considered someone. Okay. And, and you know, like I've been... <laughs> someone who's considered someone. A G. Someone, one of the G's. 
<laughs> and and so I was like, "Well, oh, am I missing something?" Because in my experience, there's been there's yeah. been huge deepening yeah. over the years. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was going, "Well, maybe that's just you know like a personal right." Uh, still some kind of samsaric perspective happening in me. I wasn't sure. And so yeah. somehow, you know, without asking the question, Papaji answered it to me. I said, yeah, of course, otherwise it'd be limited. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy dropping by radicalbrilliance.com. We've got an ebook for you which explains the radical brilliance cycle, the way the cycle gets blocked, and the practices that best open up the cycle again. We also have five days of gifts and insights for you, delivered every day by email and video, which go much more deeply into the phases of the cycle, the ways that the cycle can become a kind of diagnosis of blocked brilliance and a way to accurately find the right practice for each person. In addition, you'll receive a video about the single most important practice that we have determined affects brilliance, and another video about everyone's favorite topic, brilliant sex. It's all totally free, prepared for you as our guest. Please come to RadicalBrilliance.com. Register on the homepage and you'll receive the ebook right away. Then you'll be guided through the five days of videos to take you deeper into your own radical brilliance. I can't remember, Isaac, did you? Well, let me, yeah, let's just change topics a minute as we wind up today. So I wanted to kind of see if I could get from you, and I, yeah, a quick sort of overview of where you're at today. You know, like after all, I'm, there's been evolution over 28 years. Mm. Where, how, you know, if you, I'm wondering if you could somehow create a little summary, a, a wind up on you know, how do you see things today? You know, I made that may be difficult to do, but I mean, it's just like how very briefly, it's like huge gratefulness. I mean, just immense gratefulness. The deepest interest I would say is meeting the sensations of this moment, because all we have are these sensations as the beloved and just watching where anything falls short of that. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, we, we meet, yeah. what I call Arjuna is a bunch of memories, but in this moment, there's sensations, like something senses and feels what's happening in your nervous system through these filters, of course, not saying that it's accurate always, but, mm. you know, mm. as best as it can. And then just feeling where it's just flowing absolutely like nectar and where there's something that holds back or goes, wait a second, no, there's something, you know, like, and not putting it on you or on me, but just noticing where something does mm. that, those mm. little movements. Because mm. those little movements are what show up as you and me and what show up as, mm. so. Yeah. 
it's um, and a deep curiosity, you know, it's like, wow, we, there's no guarantee the human race is going to continue. There really see. isn't, no, there really isn't. We're really at a tipping point. It's not only that the human race may not continue, but yeah. it's possible that the human race may be responsible for, make, for making sure a lot of other species can't continue either. Can't continue either, yeah. And then just also to see that, wow, what's left in this system mm. that's ignorant of how it's functioning, yeah. that's participating in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, wow, okay, because it's like yeah. I see. There's all these little nuances that, that this system still participates in that. Yes, beautiful. And, and mm. you know, it's like, wow, that brings me to my knees. It's like, yeah. it's, cool. not, you know, it's not out there. <laughs> it's still, you know. And yeah. So, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Can I, can I respond to that also? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's very much what's been going on for me. Mm. But uh, what is it now, the year? I think about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, I had quite a major car accident. Oh, wow. Um, where, I mean, the car was just demolished. It was like crumpled up like a bit of paper. Mm. Uh, and it was a full speed car accident. I was driving at, you know, at, at freeway speed um, in the middle lane. You know how you, know how you get, mm. there are three lanes going in the same direction. I was in the middle lane. So when you have a collision uh, in the middle lane um, and you've got cars on your left and right, logically that's not good news because you're, you're having a collision and there's, you can't, you know, but somehow I, I had a collision, um, which I, you know, I can't say people, sometimes people have these stories about, oh, I was in a car accident and the other person was a terrible person. But mm -hmm. I was actually responsible for a lapse of attention, you know. Um, so I've got to honor, you know, that it, I, I was, I was. Can happen in it to anyone, man. I well, mean, I was partially at fault. I mean, basically, we were going along at a, I'll just say it to clarify that, if you wonder what I'm talking about. We were going along at a certain speed. Um, mm -hmm. The, you know, Siri produced a message about where to go next. Mm -hmm. I looked down at the map, like, just like that. In that moment, a car moved into my lane, which they're allowed to do, and then quickly slowed down. So by that time I looked up, suddenly there was a slowing down car in my lane that there wasn't there two seconds second ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that still makes me responsible because yeah. you know, I, I was looking down, you know, and so I slammed on my brakes, but, but which braked it, but I still hit the car in front. And that makes me legally responsible. If you rear end somebody, you're responsible. And that's an important thing about this story that I couldn't just brush it off as bad luck. It was a lapse of attention. Mm. So I was knocked unconscious. I don't know how all this happened. I think my head kind of hit the side or something. Mm. The next thing happened was I, when I came to, I was on the grass in the middle between <laughs> the two directions. Mm. The car was crumpled and I, and I walked out without any broken bones. I still don't know how that happened. Unreal, yeah. So I went to the hospital, <coughs> um, you know, I, they did scans. I didn't have broken bones. I went home. And although I didn't have any broken bones, it was the most profound shock to the system. Oh, I get it. And shocking that was exacerbated by the fact that I couldn't claim the victim role in this story, you know? Mm. Yeah. So um, I spent like three months kind of frozen. You know, I did some EMDR and all this, but it took mm. three months to really clear. Yeah. 
And during that time, a whole new wave of waking up happened for me, yeah. which was waking up to what it's like to be on this planet today. Mm. Um, and I came to, so I started to really think about who do I really admire the most who's alive today? Mm. And I thought of Lynn Twist. Mm -hmm. And I thought of a bunch of, you know, I thought of Barbara Marks Hubbard and I thought of, um, you know, Eric Edmies. I thought of a bunch of people and I thought, what do these people have in common? They're not primarily focusing on spirituality and awakening, mm. although that may very well be a big component of their life. What they're focusing on is contribution. Mm. Contributing to being a sane voice and turning, turning the ship around. So Lynn Twist, she does have a powerful spiritual practice, but her life is about saving the Amazon rainforest, not about giving people awakening moments. So what came to me in that three months when I was lying in the bed was this. And I don't remember, have you had a chance to look at Radical Brilliance of the book? I can't yeah, remember. I did. Um, yeah, you've done an amazing yeah. Well, I didn't really do it. It kind of delivered itself. But in this kind of cycle, awakening is part of a cycle of brilliance where there are other components as well. So really that, this arrow, this purple arrow, is the movement into awakening. This arrow is the movement in which creative impulses can reveal themselves. You know, this arrow is where we get things done and actually accomplish things in the world. And this arrow, very important, which I love about you, is where we can feel the pain of not love and feel sorrow and actually learn from our mistakes and learn not to make those mistakes again. So this is actually what revealed itself for me. And it, so it means I don't really present myself primarily as a spiritual teacher anymore, helping people to have awakening. I, I present myself, you know, hopefully with some degree of humility as somebody who can support people who want to make a difference in the world where awakening is an important component of that, but not an end in itself. You know? So that's kind of, to, just to follow on what you said, my kind of orientation has shifted that, you know, I guess you could say if you're on the deck of the Titanic and you can see the iceberg, and maybe or maybe not, maybe we do or maybe we don't have an opportunity to turn the ship around. To go mm -hmm. to your cabin and meditate on non-dual awareness doesn't necessarily seem like the best use of your time. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it would be great if all was well, but if there's actually an emergency, it would be, seems to me it'd be better to gather up the fruit of all your practice and then actually take some good action, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really where I'm at. You know, it's like, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like spiritual awakening is an, an important component of a well-lived life. But if it becomes the goal, you know, me and my enlightenment, I feel a little, it's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like playing cards on the deck of the Titanic. You know, it may not be the best, the best response. You know? Yeah. You know, and I, I just look at how that, what that touches in me. And for me, I see like, uh, When I met Papji, I was my focus was very much on turning the ship around. Mm -hmm. that, that was what it was for me. And then, in meeting him, mm. somehow that um, mm. fell away. I could say in a funny kind of a way, but in in the way of maybe to use the analogy, being on the Titanic and we've you know like we've hit the iceberg, and mm. there's all these freaked out people who are going to die because they freaked out. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, like, 
and then just seeing if it's possible to be present mm. in that freak out yeah. that allows right. whatever this transition is, because we don't know what's supposed to be. We don't know where it's going, but just mm. that it happens in as loving presence as possible. Mm. So the, kind of that, I'd say that's a nuance for me is just being in that loving presence, not ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist not trying to solve it because, you know, I mean, if, if for some people that would be, that's what they were born for. That's what the, the expression is. It's not, but just being, yeah, allowing who's ever, whatever the, everyone's function is to function as best as it can. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I think I want to just to add a little, because I realize I've misstated that slightly. I, I realize now this feels like my calling. You know, it feels yeah. like, oh, I'd love it. I, it feels yeah. like my calling is to support people in that way. It doesn't mean it's everybody's calling. People have. No, yeah. No, I didn't feel like when you, when you spoke it, that, that yeah. it was projected onto me that I needed yeah. to be there. Well, or onto anybody. I'm not, yeah. I don't yeah. feel like spiritual teaching is a waste of time. It's just not what I'm feel called yeah. to right now. Yeah. No, beautiful of you. No? So beautiful. Yeah. Wow. On another note entirely, I mean, I've got to go any second. I'm going to be yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was watching this um, documentary about mm. artificial intelligence and what's happening in that arena and how that's going to impact humanity so way more than anybody can even begin to imagine because... Mm. We're there. It's already happening. What we th what people thought was going to be a hundred years from now is happening, mm. and it's also being used by the military to produce these robots. That, you know, yeah. kill automatically without human. Yeah. But there's but it's also used like by Google to manage their energy efficiency. Mm. But the truth is, they don't know how artificial intelligence functions. Yeah. And it can it can so even easily take a twist that they hadn't anticipated. Yeah. And like they had people on there, like this guy Ray Kurzweil and and Elon Musk, who was just in saying a, it. A movie, you're saying? Hmm. It was in a movie. Yeah. What's the movie called? Uh, do you trust this computer? I'll send you the actual name. Of it. Do you? Can I trust my computer? Okay. Is that like yeah. a re like a real movie that goes in the movie? Real movie, real movie. You know, just I mean the fact that every you know, like if you're using a phone. All your movements are tracked. All everything that you look at is tracked. I mean, mm. there's there's so much information about mm. you that's tracked and that's used by you know in different ways by interest, interest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and these guys were saying that at this point it's not a question. We somehow need to get around the fact that we that in order that that that's the next step that humanity is going to kind of combined with this artificial intelligence. There's no step, there's no way of stepping back from that. And I haven't even considered that. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. whoa, that's major. Yeah, yeah. Well, also the implications of what that means for this divide between the rich and the poor. And I mean, there's yeah. so many aspects of that. That's just... Yeah. yeah. Can I finish? Can I say one thing to that? Or are you really out of time? No, no, no. I'll hear when it falls. Me. I had a conversation last year with Nicole Bradford, who was at that time, I believe she was still at that time, the senior engineer at Blizzard Entertainment. Okay, so Blizzard, they used to produce all these video games, 
Mm. So obviously they're still manufacturing those, but of course all the R and research and development is going into VR and AR, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality. Yeah. Mm. And so she was telling me she was, I don't know how old she was a year ago, but maybe I'm guessing thirties or something. Mm. And she told me that she, she was managing all these kids, you know, kids recently out of college who had incredible programming skills. And she told me, the question that everybody was asking in, within this environment was, can we build the algorithm to do this, right? Mm. And she said the question that she really became interested in and felt was urgent was, should we? Mm. Yeah. Should we build the algorithm? Let, let me just- And, what, and me. what these guys were saying is that question is we've breathed on past there because we can't- well, yeah, but, <laughs> I know, but you see, let me just finish the thought about that because, you know, for example, we can build an algorithm for a middle-aged man to put mm -hmm. on goggles and sensors on his skin and headphones and to have a completely realistic experience of making love to a young woman in her 20s full of curves. Mm -hmm. So we can do that. The, the reason the should we comes up is what is that going to do to his marriage? If he can just switch that on at any time, mm. how, how will that impact his marriage? You know, is that going to increase intimacy with his partner or not? Yeah. You know, yeah. we can, we can now create a completely realistic experience of murdering another human being. It's completely real. So we can, but should we, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. I bring this up because, okay. So AR, VR, AI, these are all outwardly the evolutionary curve. But what I'm interested in is all of those things can be used destructively or constructively. So the next step that I'm interested in is, can, hum can humanity somehow learn that the spirit of not love hurts everybody? The spirit of non-love, it hurts the non-love. Then, non then we're on the same page, my man. Yeah, right, exactly. I've, I've, I've just got my my call i okay. need to go i just so deeply enjoy love you brother thank you yeah. thank you so much thanks for inviting me thank you so much brother thank you All right, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to my old and very, very good, very, very good friend, Isaac. If you also were in Lucknow, if you met Punjaji, if you were lucky enough to meet him when he was alive, you might like to take a few minutes just to journal, take a paper and journal. What was the impact of Lucknow for you? How has it left you? How has it impacted you? But equally, even if you weren't with Punjaji in Lucknow, maybe you could reflect upon anybody who has been a teacher or any group that's been a sangha for you or any book or, or influence that has been a teaching for you to reflect upon how have you assimilated it? How have you managed to extract the essence and to throw away the husk that is very often a distraction? I hope you'll get time to reflect upon this. I hope you're enjoying the Radical Brilliance podcast. I hope you will review us positively on uh, Apple, Apple's uh, podcast app. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.